Charlie, you did a wonderful job, even when Eric and I messed you up. Because Eric and I went through the lyrics together beforehand. Did I miss one, dude? You know the one, the verse where you're like, I don't do that verse? Yeah. You do it twice. Because oh, <laughs> I was like, that was there earlier. Why is it not there? Oh, yeah. No, and it wasn't your fault because I knew it too. Um, and what it was, was it was at the end because in the song he ends with that. And uh, it's like, oh, yeah, it's. It's the chorus, <laughs> so we just deleted that. So if you would turn in your Bibles, we're going we're gonna to spend a few weeks now. Would you mute all the mics, please, Eric? That's what I thought you were doing. Thank you, bud. Um, so Advent's coming up. It's not here yet, but uh, by the end of November, it will be here. And uh, so instead of going to Second Peter again, because the reality is Second Peter repeats a lot of the same themes that First Peter does, and that's good because those are themes we need, Okay. Uh, I think so often we get focused on novelty, and the reality is that Jesus didn't bring a lot of novelty. What he did was he helped us remember what God had been saying all along, but we do a really good job of taking what God's saying and remembering sometimes the literal words of it while changing the meaning of it completely. And so we're going we're gonna to hit Second Peter again because we need these themes, okay? I think one of the best things we do each week uh, for our faith is we sing the doxology and we do the same thing every week. <laughs> we don't change it. It's not like, hey, we need a new form of the doxology this week. We need that reminder. We're going to do Lord's Supper next week. Holtes, are y'all doing bread this time? Okay, you're doing bread this time. There we go. <laughs> um, so uh, because we're, we're now doing it at the first week of the month because we need these reminders. But we're going to take a little break because I do want it to be where like, we're being reminded, but there's a little bit of time in between. So we're going to focus on my favorite book of the Old Testament. This is my absolute favorite book, and there, there are lots of favorites I have. I, I shouldn't probably say that any one scripture is my favorite, but this is my favorite. And it's, uh, it's, it's the book of Amos, and he's known as a minor prophet. Now, minor prophet does not mean what he had to say was small, um, minor and major prophets are literally just a way of saying one person wrote a lot and the other person didn't write a lot. So some of us in this room, I, I know I tell preacher stories. When I start to tell a story, I go into this way and then that way and then this way, and it takes too long, uh, which is what's happening right now. And then some of you, when you tell a story, you're like, I saw an albino deer yesterday. That would be Eric who saw an albino yeah. And it's fascinating, isn't it? You now want to see the photo of the albino deer, uh, which I did not put in the PowerPoint, so you won't see it. The minor prophets are like Eric. They're, they tell the story quick. The major prophets are like some of us in the room that are a little more verbose, and you keep on going, get to the point. Please get to the point. Please get to the point, okay? So he's a minor prophet, and he's focusing on one thing. We're going to talk about that. So... Uh, Charlie, you're going to operate PowerPoint for me for just a second because I like to read from my Bible. Thank you, bud. And you're only going to have to do that one slide because we're just going to do the intro today. This is what the Word of the Lord says in the first chapter of the book of Amos, uh, verses 1 through 2. It says the following. The words of Amos, one of the shepherds of Tekoa, the vision he saw concerning Israel two years before the earthquake when Uzziah was king of Judah and Jeroboam, the son of Jehoas, was king of Israel. He said, the Lord roars from Zion 
and thunders from Jerusalem, and the pastures of the shepherds dry up, and the top of Carmel withers. Now, we're going to do a little bit of a history lesson here because this is important for understanding uh, the book of Amos. But before we do that, we're going to talk about something that I thoroughly enjoy here, and it's missing the point. I, I love stories of people missing the point. One of my favorite things in movies is when one person is trying to talk about one thing and another person completely understands. I think it's primarily why I love The Office. Michael Scott misses the point all the time. My mother's shaking her head. She cannot stand The Office, and it's probably because Michael Scott misses the point. He, he's always missing the point. You probably can think of a few stories of that or examples. I, I was searching online for famous examples of it, and I didn't get as many as I did as I wanted uh, because they were all really long stories. And I was thinking to myself, be more like Eric, tell short stories. So I was focused on that. But there are lots of photos like this. I mean, missing the point. The reason you have a crate is not to then hide right there. <laughs> Some of you can relate. Some of you parents in the room can relate. Some of you uh, dog owners and cat owners can, can relate. There are times where it happens. This past week, uh, my social media friends, uh, some of them posted this photo that I think is a really good example of it, okay? And it's this. It says, y'all are about to find out why your great-grandmother washed her aluminum foil and saved her bacon grease. Now, if you can't see in the bottom, I'm going to enlarge this for you. It then had a fact check underneath it, which says, false information. This information is checked by another post by independent fact checkers. There's no evidence that people ever saved aluminum foil or baking grease. And people went wild over this. That's the problem. But they were saying, this is why you should never trust fact checkers. Now, if you look, you're going to see this thing right here. It's called Caveman Humor. And it's a meme site. This whole thing right here, matter of fact, if you start looking, you're going to notice, because like if you look on Facebook typically, this and this are not different widths when they do it. There's all this information. This font's slightly different. Um, people start very, it's like, this was created by a meme site. So they made a meme so that they could make a meme out of it. Yes. <laughs> so that people would then repost it and make a meme out of that. I'm assuming they posted it. Yes. I, I, don't, I don't know that they, maybe they created the meme going, somebody's going to go, oh, this is true and point out why fact checkers are awful. Rather than going, this is the very reason we need fact checkers. <laughs> now, it fooled a bunch of people I know. Thankfully, the people I know that did it, when they were like, oh yeah, that's a meme, they removed it. They didn't just argue about it. But it was missing the point. The reason we need fact checkers is because there are people that put out false information. And the book of Amos is all about a group of people missing the point. And now those people, to give you an idea here, it's, it's at a time period where Israel is going through what is known as the divided kingdom. Sometimes it can get a little confusing. You know, there is Israel overall, and then later on it divides into two kingdoms. 
known as the, the, the I, mean, I was about to say the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, but the, the uh, northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, the northern kingdom is typically known as the kingdom of Israel, and the southern kingdom is typically known as the kingdom of Judah. So sometimes when you hear Israel, it's talking about the person named Israel. Sometimes when you hear Israel, it's talking about the tribes of Israel. Sometimes when you hear Israel, it's talking about the kingdom of Israel. And then sometimes when you hear Israel, it's talking about the northern kingdom of Israel. Confused yet? Okay. For this book, what's happened is the children of Israel have divided into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Think of it like the United States during the Civil War. Without the, the war, I mean, they, they hated each other, but there was a division here. They, they formed two countries that lasted until they were taken over by other countries. They, they were the same people. They had slightly different traditions. Uh, we tend to think of this, uh, truthfully, as much bigger than it is. From Bethel here to Jerusalem is about 10 miles to give you a scale there, okay? Uh, 10 miles. So you could walk from Bethel, which was the religious capital of the northern kingdom, uh, to Jerusalem, which was the religious capital of the southern kingdom and supposed to be the religious capital of all of it, uh, in about three and a half hours walking. Not a long, long journey, not a big trip. I mean, that's a little more than, than walking to Plover, which some of you have done from here, okay? Aaron's like, yes, I have. Because they were the same people with slightly different traditions, and they, they divided, and they do what people do at that point. They begin to hate each other and resent each other. The southern kingdom was the cultural capital of the people because it had what everybody there knew was really their religious home. Jerusalem was really their religious home. But the northern kingdom was more powerful in its military and more powerful economically. Do you see why there would be a little bit of struggle between the two of them? Uh, Israel always felt like the inferior sibling, even though they had the money and they had the might. But Judah had Jerusalem. So the, the northern kings tried to encourage people to go to Bethel to sacrifice instead of going to Jerusalem to sacrifice. Now, they had a reason for that. If you, if you remember Jacob's, uh, the story of Jacob and his ladder, he has this dream where the ladder happens, and the ladder is this, this wonderful reminder of what God is doing constantly and what he does with Jesus, uh, where it is a connection between heaven and earth. It's the spot where, where God connects with humanity, and it it happens at the spot that Jacob refers to after sleeping on the ground and using a rock as a pillow. I don't understand it. Perhaps rocks in the ancient Near East are softer than rocks in Wisconsin, but I would never use a rock as a pillow. But he uses a rock as a pillow, and he wakes up, and he says this wonderful line, Surely God was in this place, and I didn't know it. Think of that for a second. Because so often we think of trying to invite God in rather than recognizing He's there already. And we just don't know it. So often we need Him to, to lift the veil from our eyes so that we can see His messengers descending from Him to give us messages of grace. The ladder that is between Him and us that is Jesus Christ. We need that reminder. But he recognizes that God was there and he calls this place Bethel. Now, anytime you see Bet or Beth in the Old Testament or in a Hebrew word, it means house. And most times, not always, 
But most times, like 99% of the time, when you see L, it means God. The reason I say, um, say most times is uh, if I had a daughter and if we ever have a granddaughter, I kind of hope she will be named JL. It's this wonderful story from the Old Testament about a woman who basically a rebel come, comes to her and thinks she, she's no threat whatsoever. And uh, she instead takes a tent peg and, and uh, when he's asleep, goes through his head. It's kind of gruesome. Uh, but her name means wild goat. So uh, that has nothing to do with God. So you have to be careful there. So house and L. So Bethel was the house of God. There was a long history of, of people worshiping there. Uh, and Israel, the northern kingdom, had every reason to send people there. The reason I bring this up is because Israel, well, they tried to do a lot of this, the same religious practices. They tried to be faithful to Yahweh while reinterpreting what Yahweh had said. Now, they ended up taking on other gods, but Judah does that too. But quite often, even when they're taking on the other gods, they're using the name of God. Baal is Lord, and the Lord there quite often would be Yahweh, where they were referring to the one true God. They, they tried to do the practices that they just reinterpreted it. And what Amos does is he begins to point out that they've missed the point of the practices completely. Now, Amos is a fascinating creature because he's one of the people we know basically what he did. He tells us two different things that he did. Here, here's the first one. Amos answered Amaziah, uh, I was neither a prophet nor the son of a prophet. Now, the reason he mentions that is um, you may know people like this who their dad was a pastor and their granddad was a pastor and their great-granddad was a pastor where it becomes the family profession. Some of you, your children may go into your profession. Some of you, uh, your, 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 the people in your family that are younger than you may not go into your profession because your profession may not exist later on, or they're in a job that didn't exist when you were their age. It happens. Um, but at that time, there were people whose fathers had been prophets, and they kind of went into the family profession. There were schools of, of prophecy. I don't mean they were uh, were teaching people to fake it. They weren't. Prophecy is not about saying, this is what's going to happen in the future. It does happen a little. Prophecy is primarily about saying, this is what God has told us in the past. He's told us this, therefore we need to live that out. The prophets were there to call the people of God constantly back to God because we have a tendency to wander. And he's saying, my dad wasn't a prophet. I'm not a prophet. I don't do this for money. This is not my job. Instead, um, he says this, but I was a shepherd and I also took care of sycamore fig trees. But the Lord took me from tending the flock and said to me, go prophesy to my people Israel. So we know that he was a shepherd and a pincher. Uh, well, I'll get to that in a second. A caretaker of sycamore fig trees. He says it again here actually in the 10th chapter. I was neither a prophet nor a prophet's son, but I was a shepherd and I also took care of the sycamore fig trees. So guys, he was not a high up person. Matter of fact, if you look at the straight out Hebrew of the caretaker of sycamore fig trees, sometimes in translations, the straight words don't convey the, the actual meaning, but it's fine here. Okay. What it says is he was a pincher of figs. 
And the reason it said that is for these fig trees to harvest, for the fruit to ripen, you needed to go and pinch off the flower at the end. Okay, so Aaron's shaking her head. There's some, there's some stuff where we do that now. You have people that will go through uh, cornfields and will we'll basically take the, uh, the um, my mind just went blank, what's it called? Where all the pollen is that they're spreading out. Ta- the tassels, yes, and just spread out. Not typically in, uh, in, in a commercial field, but in some smaller fields it happens. This still happens. He was a low individual in this. He was not a shepherd like he owned a flock, most likely. He was not a caretaker of fig trees like he owned an orchard, most likely. Instead, we have a name for people who go from, from one practice to another that follow the harvest. What is that name that we would usually refer to somebody who follows a harvest and works on other people's properties? A migrant worker. Most likely, Amos was a migrant worker who was following the agricultural work at the time. I want you to think about that for just a second. So often we think of it's the powerful that are going to speak God's word to the powerful. But if you look again and again, God's economy, the way he operates is he takes the weak and uses them to to prove foolish, the wise and the powerful. It's who he is. And Amos most likely was a migrant worker who went up from Judah to his more powerful cousins and said, you are not following God. And he specifically talks about justice again and again. We, we start off by talking about missing the point. Israel was so concerned about whether or not they had a place of worship that they begin to miss the whole point of the place of worship. The place of worship is about a connection with God that we might know His love and forgiveness and that we might become more like Him. The children of Israel, when they were rescued, they were rescued and told that they would be like gods to the Egyptians. And what that meant there was that they would be like Yahweh. And so often we tend to focus on the power But the reality is we need to focus on who he is. And he is always the God who sets the captives free. He does that with us. He's always the God who extends grace to the unlovable. He does that with us. It is who he is. But Israel missed the point thinking we need to establish a new place of worship that will be competitive against Jerusalem. And when they did that, they forgot about justice. There's a reason that Amos was one of Martin Luther King's favorite books. You've heard him quote it before when he talks about justice flowing like a mighty rushing river. He's not saying justice in the sense of criminal justice, even though that still comes out of this term. Justice in the Bible is to render to someone what they deserve. And what we know from Scripture is what we deserve is not based off our own merit. It's based off of who loves us. If I know that God loves you, how can I treat you with anything other than love? Because the one I proclaim to be my Lord, the one I proclaim to love, loves you. And the people of Israel focused on the the practice that happened in Bethel and focused on doing the right things in powerful ways and forgot about justice. 
Every now and then we miss the point too. Jesus talks about this because this is not just something that happens in the ancient Near East, okay? It, it's pretty common. Uh, Amos said this, he said, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps, but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never failing stream. Jesus summarizes this a little bit. Uh, when he talks to the, the Pharisees and he's saying the following. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices. This is called a tithe. The Pharisees were really concerned about doing the law because the pharisaical mindset was we had not followed the law perfectly and since we have not followed the law perfectly, God has turned his back on us. So, Rationally, if you think about it, that means what we need to do is follow the law perfectly. So they got really picky on things like not just have you tithed in the broad sense, but have you even tithed on your spices? Now, we know now that'd be a big deal because spices are pretty expensive. (laughs) But he was trying to say the smallest things you have, you focus on doing that. And while you're focusing on doing that, you're not actually focusing on doing what God wants. You're giving the offerings, you're you're clanging the cymbals, but you're not doing the thing that the Lord wants, and He hates what you do as a result. Jesus says, you give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And He doesn't say, oh, as long as you do justice and mercy and faithfulness, it's not important for you to do the other stuff. He recognizes that The whole point of doing these things is not because God needs us to do it, but because these actions help to shape us into the people who are becoming like God. We tithe not because God needs our money, but because He knows we need to give. Because when we don't give, we become people who are greedy and focused on ourselves. We, we do the actions of the law not because we can ever meet them. We can't. Even sometimes when we summarize the faith and we say, oh, all you got to do is love God and love others, which is a quick summary of Jesus saying that the most important commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. And the second is like unto it, which is to love your neighbor as yourself. But what he's doing there, Jesus is not saying, and this is how you come to know me. He's saying that's the summary of the law. And we still can't do that. When we bring it down to two, just two laws, we still can't do it. But when we receive His grace, we follow that law not to receive the grace, but to begin to live into being more like Him. That's the goal here, is for us to become more and more like Him. That's why we sing, that's why we pray. It's, it's why we do the Lord's Supper. It's why we ask forgiveness. Those practices help us to become more like Him. And we'll never be there on our own. Ever. We will ultimately only reach that when He makes us like that. When He transforms us. When we are in His presence. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't try. We don't follow the law 
to be righteous. We follow the law because he's declared us righteous. And we want to be a little bit more like the one who declares us to be righteous. We call these things that we do that kind of form reservoirs of of reminders of his grace. We call them spiritual disciplines or spiritual practices. It's reading your Bible. It's prayer. It's singing at church. It's fasting. It's, It's service. It's tithing. It's all of these things. And it can become really easy to think Well, the term that that is used in the Christian world is discipleship. That discipleship is about doing these practices. But discipleship is not about doing these practices. Discipleship is about being a disciple of Jesus and following him and becoming a little more like him. The practices are what help us to do it. We read the Bible because when we read the Bible, we hear the voice of God and we know the mind of Christ. And when we know the mind of Christ a little better, well, hopefully it will cause us to be kind of tainted by that. Where we'll begin to look at the world, not like we see it, but a little more like the way he sees it. We pray because when we pray, well, quite often we experience the heart of God and it shapes us, even shapes us for praying for the ones that we don't want to pray for. We sing the doxology. Not because the doxology is important, but because it shapes us to be more like Him. There are all these practices, and they form these reservoirs that we can go back to when we're like, I just don't know what to do. Because the reality is, is, as big as the Bible is, as wonderful as it is, it doesn't cover everything in detail. And every now and then, we just kind of need to be enmeshed in Jesus to where we go. I don't know what Jesus would do with a self-driving car but I kind of know who Jesus is, and that can shape us. A, a, a few weeks ago, I shared a quote from um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, or Dietrich, as Clancy said earlier today. Uh, did, I, did I pronounce that right? Dietrich? The quote's this, and I, I just love this quote. And I love it so much I made stickers for you guys, okay? So there are stickers in the back. I kind of wish I'd made them a little bigger the, and, or used a different font. I should have sent it to a couple of our graphic designers. Um, it's a little thin. So you're not supposed to criticize a free gift you're giving everybody, but th- <laughs> I'm giving you a free gift in the back that's critical. And the, the quote from Bonhoeffer is this, Lord, I do not understand your ways, but you know the way for me. The reason I love it is because so often I don't know what in the world God's doing. But when I really focus on wanting to know Him more than following the law, He begins to shape me in such a way to where He changes my gut and my gut reaction becomes better. Where He changes me to where even if I make the wrong choice later on, I begin to realize, oh, that's not what Jesus would have wanted. See, the point of our faith is not you doing religious duty. Your religious duties are there to help you to interact with God so that you might become a little more like Him. That's why we say the Lord's Prayer. All right, would you say it with me? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. 
And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. We say that, that we might become a little more like him and see the world around us a little more like him. There's a reason we sing, were you there on Easter? To remember what it was like to remember that we were there with him in his heart, that he hung on the cross because, of, because he and the Father and the Spirit love us so much that they were willing to sacrifice all for us. And so we sing that to remember. If you know it, you want to sing the first verse with me. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Oh, sometimes it almost makes me want to tremble, tremble, tremble. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? See, we sing that not because it's awesome, even though it's awesome. I can't wait until the pandemic's over and we're all back together. This room has this wonderful echo and it's one of my favorite things we ever do when we all sing it together. But we sing that so that we might remember what he did for us. And what he calls us to do. Because we're not worthy to be his disciple. To follow him. Unless we take up our cross and follow him. It's true of all of these disciplines. And they're very important. Don't get me wrong. But their point is that we might become a little more like Jesus. And he is always the God who sets the captives free. So before I end, and I have something specific I want us to do this week, does anybody have anything to to add or share? Besides, Robert, maybe you shouldn't sing next time. (laughs) Yeah. Mount Carmel. Um, this is where the Ten Commandments were? No, that's not Carmel. Um, my word, my mind just went blank. Just we'll yeah, we'll find out tomorrow. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Sorry, my mind's going blank. You, it's, you guys know it's been a, a couple of busy weeks. So, um, what is Mount Carmel's where um, where Elijah uh, did the um, fought with the prophets of Baal? There we go. So if you know the story there, uh, Israel <laughs> not following God and um, Elijah uh, says, hey, to the king and, and the queen, the queen was Jezebel, you should know her, and Ahab was the king and says, all right, we need to decide who you're going to follow at this point. Um, <laughs> y'all see that fly? <laughs> And so he challenges all the prophets of Baal and Asherah. There were 400, if I remember correctly, there's 400 of the prophets of Baal and 450 of the prophets of Asherah. It may be the reverse, but there were 850 prophets. And uh, he called them up there to make sacrifice. And the prophets of Baal and Asherah spent all day shouting and cutting themselves 
and nothing happened. And then um, Elijah came up and said, Lord, so that the people might know, answer. So I'm going to assume that's where it's pointing right back to that experience. Anybody else? Thank you, by the way. Sorry, I just wasn't prepared. Then here's what I want you to do. Again, it's very tempting to be like the Pharisees. It's very tempting to, to be like the, the Israelis, to focus on the wrong point. We do it all the time, okay? All you have to do is look within, within Christianity. Um, it's very easy for us to focus on the wrong thing because the wrong thing quite often can be tangible. I, I can do this. If I do, I mean, like what evangelicals call a quiet time. Oh, to be a Christian, you have to do a quiet time. No, you don't. <laughs> quiet time is read, uh, read your Bible and pray. But Jesus never did one. I mean, we have no reference to Jesus going, I'm going to go do my quiet time now. He did go aside and pray, but he wouldn't have had a Bible on his own to do a quiet time with. Um, we, we get so easily focused on these tangibles that were meant to help us rather than focusing on what they were meant to help us. And what they were meant to help us do is to become a little more like Jesus. So I just want to invite you this week to do one thing, and that is to pray this week and say, Jesus, what is it that I'm missing the point about? Okay, Because what you're going to find is, as you grow closer to Jesus, there are going to be these things you're like, oh my gosh, I've been just turning my back on Jesus on this. For so long. Pray saying, Jesus, what is it I've missed the point about? And he may tell you, you've missed the point that's all about my grace and you need to not worry as much. And he may tell you, my grace was there to change this behavior in you and you need to change that. I can't say what he's going to tell you. But I can tell you, the dangerous prayer is, is when we come before God and we say, search me and know me. Because he does. <laughs> And quite often we're like, yeah, but I didn't want you to do that. I wanted you to tell me something easy, like instead of 10%, you should give 11. Not actually I need to, to love and forgive the person who, who hates me. So that's my encouragement. With that said, we're going to do one of the practices right now. Oh, by the way, if you need some examples of this, I forgot this part. Here are two books, okay? Two of my favorites. Uh, Celebration of Discipline is a classic it has more spiritual practices than you can imagine. Richard Foster is the man. He's awesome. Uh, it is incredible. This book right here, The Life You've Always Wanted, it, it's like an Oprah Winfrey title. Um, I don't know why it's called that. Can you all not see that? I'm sorry. So, yeah, it is. It's a really good book. It's a really good book, but I agree. When I first got it, uh, I was like, I don't think I'm going to like this book. It's wonderful. So I would encourage you to get it. I would also encourage John Ortberg to pick a different title and a cover, but that's a different thing. These are two excellent books if you're looking for some help on doing spiritual disciplines. But again, the whole point is not about doing the discipline. It's about allowing the discipline to be used by God to change you into the person he wants you to be. So let's do a discipline now and let's sing our closing prayer. Would you please join me? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. 
Praise Him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Go with the God who loves you. Go with the God who will change you to be a little more like His Son. And the wonderful thing about his, his son is his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Becoming a little bit more like him leads to more joy, not more drudgery. Have a great week. Thank you for joining us online. Be good. <laughs>